Father, thank you that I don't have to worry about thank yous. Thank you, Lord, that we owe it all to you, that it's all from you and for you and through you. And, and thank you, Lord, that um, you're just involving us this way in ministry. Thank you that you've... All these resources that we have, Father, it's just amazing to me that you've done that and how you've, how you've um, just grown and built up um, each one of us this year. And through the studies that we've done, we've learned more about you. Help us to get closer to you, Lord, in it all, to, to really see that the word and the study of it is just the path that leads us to you, that um, in and of itself... Um, we don't just want to know the words, we want to know the one who spoke the words. And so, Lord, I pray for that. Um, I pray for that as we finish off this study over the next few weeks and then as we start again in 2019, that we would know the one who's coming back for us, that we would really know you and, and what is it Paul says, know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings, um, that we might attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I pray, Lord, for that. I pray for your hand upon this ministry, upon each one of us in our various roles within this ministry. I pray that you would do it, Lord God, and that you would lift the hearts and souls of those people that we pray for, for Georgia, for Laura, for Mandy, uh, uh, Rosie's daughter, whom we so seldom mention because she's not here, but who is uh, having to deal with um, MS and all of that that means. Lord, we pray for her peace and uh, her strength. We pray for Rosie and for Brian. Brian is going off this morning to the doctors and uh, who is not well and has not been well for a while, Lord God. Thank you for them. Thank you for these people who, who minister with, uh, with us together in Desiring Truth. And, and, and Lord God, we entrust our families to you because you are the healer you are the one who gives us a strength you are the god who is in control of all things and so we give our families our friends our loved ones to you lord god in the knowledge that you will um, you will take care of them because you are a caring compassionate loving father so we look oh and for linda this morning thank you maureen yeah for Linda, who's going into surgery i think even now she might even be in she has to be there at nine o'clock so Lord, we pray for her. We pray for her strength. We pray for joy in, in the whole process. We pray for peace. We pray for the, whatever procedure it is that the surgeon has skill. Uh, Lord, that the doctors and nurses, when she comes out of it, do what they're supposed to do. We pray, Lord God, for her. And we know, Lord, that um, you are with her, for that is your promise. Never will you leave us nor forsake us. So um, I thank you, Father. I thank you for all that you do and all that you are. And I ask you now, Lord, to keep us focused on Hezekiah and what we can learn from his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, okay, so um, Hezekiah, as we've seen, was a good man. He was a man who brought revival to Jerusalem and, as, and the hearts of the people were turned back to God. And um, in Second Chronicles 32, which is where we are now, um, we see that he is just a man. That's what I love about scripture. You know, all these great people who do things we think we could never do, then start to do something that we do only too often. And um, in some strange, maybe random way, that gives us hope because we see that these people who are um, 
used mightily by God, are also people just like you and I. And so Hezekiah, um, uh, who has, as I say, brought about revival in the land, who didn't follow his own father but followed in the ways of David, it says. He, uh, then in, in 2 Chronicles 32, it talks about, and actually 2 Chronicles 32 begins, after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. I mean, I just think that first opening statement is such a... I don't know, you could spend a long time in there. After these acts of faithfulness, so it's like um, Hezekiah's reward for his faithfulness was that the enemy came in and tried to take over. It's like, okay, Lord... I've done all of this, I've turned all of Israel back to you, I've invited all of the people all over the place to come to back to worship in Jerusalem, and this is how you repay me. And that's so often the case, actually, and it made me think when I was preparing, you know, writing all of this, I was thinking, okay, well, what does that mean for me? And, of course, if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, this is what Paul will tell Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, to me, that tied up completely with Hezekiah. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, um, same thing. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And then if you read on, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. The fact of persecution and suffering and opposition is all over scripture. And living a godly life is actually not the antidote to suffering and persecution. In many ways, it attracts the work of the enemy. And it's like if you, you've put your head above the parapet and so he wants to strike you down. That's, we, we have to be aware of that, otherwise we're going to be constantly surprised and constantly questioning God. I thought, if I did the right thing, you would bless me. And so the understanding that actually out of the attack of the enemy, out of the persecution, out of the opposition, comes great blessing. That is the way that God blesses us. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? That persecution, opposition, suffering is a gift from God. It's a gift from God and it is the way that he, um, he blesses us. If you're not sure about that, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, For it has been granted to us to suffer for Christ's sake. And Paul uses the word granted, which is the same word that he uses for gifting. It has been gifted to you to suffer for Christ's sake. And, now, and surely that's what we can see with Hezekiah. In Hezekiah 31, at the end of the chapter, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. 
and then straight away, after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Hello, Christian. Nice to see you. Good morning. No worries. Philippians is chapter 1, verse 29. So, some people will tell you, and they, will, they, uh, they are being taught themselves, and they will tell you that faithfulness to God leads to comfort and ease. That is perhaps the worst deception that has invaded the Christian church. Um, uh, the Bible does not say so. The Bible has no, nothing at all about that. Um, the Bible consistently tells us that uh, faithfulness and uh, godly living attracts persecution and opposition. And you will have experienced it in your own life if you, um, if you have lived godly in Christ Jesus. So we see very um, similar things throughout Scripture. Satan attacks those who are living for God or for Christ. He does not like the living out of the gospel message. He does not like it. He doesn't like it spoken, and he certainly does not like it lived. Uh, look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, um, before, um, before Second Chronicles. No, uh, after Second Chronicles, sorry. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. I still can't get this new Bible to turn the pages quick enough. So funny. Okay, because they're so silky, that's why. <laughs> uh, Nehemiah 4, 1 to 6. Now, it came about that when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that's of Jerusalem, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones and the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even what they are, re uh, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. This is the taunts of the enemy. This is the enemy coming to you and saying, really, are you joking? What, you, you feeble Christian, do you really think that you're going to build anything for the Lord, that you're going to be in any way used by him to build up the temple of God? And this constant mocking and scorning and, and the voices that we hear in our own heads and actually sometimes from outside of us, people saying to us, what, you, really, what can you do on your own? What can you do? And um, Nehemiah, hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. And that's what we're seeing over and over again, this demoralization of the Christian church. Go ahead, Julia. Do you find in scripture that people ask the things, ask of God the things to, be ha to happen to their enemy? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously that happened in those times. Yeah. Uh, I think I would ask that God would silence the enemy in whatever way he wanted. No, but remember, who is the enemy? You see, See, in, in the Old Testament, we're getting uh, an example that we take the principle of into the New Testament. So ultimately, our enemy is Satan. Yeah. And anyone who does mock us is, is actually the hostage of Satan. 
So we don't want anything bad to happen to the person, but we do want something bad to happen to Satan. And I think it's entirely scriptural to pray that he would be done away with, um, but not the people that he, yeah. Um, but the, the whole thing about that is, okay, take that then. The people that he uses, who are his hostages actually, how will you, um, what sort of a witness is it if we are undone by the work of Satan through them? See, if they're only going to see Jesus through a Christian. Yes. Yes. And so if we are, if we are uh, done in by the taunts, then they don't see a strong and mighty God. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. Um, okay, so reading on, um, verse 7 to um, oh, of Nehemiah. Uh, when it wasn't successful, when their taunts were not successful, the enemy comes in a different way. Now, when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashtadites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them we set up a guard day and night against them. Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Can you see what's happening here? The enemies come with obvious taunts by, the, uh, by their hostage or their, the enemy has come. He, and these people, Tobiah and, um, and uh, who was the other guy? I can't remember his name. Sambala, they've come with their taunts. Do you really think you can do anything? And when that didn't work, they then worked through the other Jews to come back against Nehemiah and those working in Jerusalem and to tell them, oh my goodness, this is not going to work and you're not going to make it. This is not going to happen. And so what does Jeremiah do? When I saw their fear, no, sorry, verse 13, then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your houses. This is the work of uh, one man who stood up, Nehemiah, and who actually accomplished the building of the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. He just came back to Jerusalem. He got all the people stirred up and he said, well, this is a shameful thing to have the walls of Jerusalem broken down. And they rebuilt those walls and the fixed the gates in 52 days. I mean, that's a month and a half. And that was an enormous thing. And all of the time they were doing it, the uh, enemy was coming with taunts. They were stirring up the Jews who lived outside of Jerusalem to come against them and say, this can't be done. And Nehemiah just prayed to the Lord um, just, you know, make sure, Lord, that we finish this job and, and give us the strength to do it. And the reason I've spent a long time on, on Nehemiah, or it seems like a long time, five, ten minutes, is because that's exactly what Hezekiah did. Nehemiah, Ezra, Hezekiah, Moses, David, all of the people of the Old Testament faced what you and I faced. They faced opposition and persecution, ridicule, scorn, 
they feel like an idiot half the time. They, they wonder why they're still hanging on to their faith, still hanging on to what they're doing for God because things don't work out properly. Look at Job. I mean, look at Job. His whole world turned upside down, not understanding anything about it, but choosing to stay trusting that God is God. And really, that's what Hezekiah did. That's what Nehemiah did. That's what they all did. They trusted that God is God. And, um, and God was God to them. And that's what we must do. But really, for Keith and for Christine, you know, think about this. I mean, their heart's breaking for their daughter. It's breaking for their daughter because she's not well and she's suffering. And the surgery, however that went, they won't know for a week, but the aftermath of the surgery has not been good. And Georgia, what are they going to do to lift her spirits? How can they do it? And so the enemy comes in and starts to talk to them. That's never going to get any better. And why are you trusting God? And why are you still praying? And blah, 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 on and on and on and on and on. And the temptation is to say, yes, God, where are you? I mean, where are you? We're doing all the right stuff, so where are you? So the, uh, the thing is that what we have to do for Christine and Keith, what we have done for Vanessa, what we have to do for Rosie and Brian, and everybody in this room, we have to hold up each other's arms and pray for one another when we haven't got the words to pray for ourselves. You know, that's what you see in this. Nehemiah couldn't rebuild the walls on his own. Hezekiah cannot defend his country on his own. No one can do it on their own. That's why God puts us in community. And if we do not cherish that community and fight for that community and decide that we're going to stand with each other, then we will individually be picked off by the enemy. It's what you said, reinforcing what you said Saturday, that the battle is between ourselves. Yeah. And the enemy came and caused him so um, the, the king of Assyria sends, uh, 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 sends people against the cities of Judah. Second Kings is the, is the parallel passage to the Chronicles passages. So we'll just read a, um, the first 16 verses from Second Kings chapter 18. So if somebody reads eight verses and then someone else the, the other eight, please. Or where there's a natural stop in the... So Second Kings 18, 1 to 16. It came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, and took Gath and its towns from the hands of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab and the That's Moab. not the right passage. Second Kings 18. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That's okay. Now it came to pass in the village of Ephraim, the son of Ella, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehoshuchtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him 
was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. Now in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea's son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years, they captured it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was captured. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and put them in Halah and on the Habor, the river of Guzan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. Even all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded, they would neither listen nor do it. Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib king of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Then Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria at Lashish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver, silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the door posts which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Okay, so um, those first 16 verses are synopsis, really, of Hezekiah's rule up to that point. So you can see that the ten tribes of Israel were taken captive by Assyria, called Samaria, taken captive by uh, Assyria because they did not obey the Lord. And then ten years later, um, or ten years into uh, the, when we're first introduced to Hezekiah, they come against uh, Judah. And what's Hezekiah's response? When they come against Judah... What's his first response? To give in. Yeah, to give in, to give in. And actually, yeah, to say I did wrong, actually, uh, you know, he, it says earlier, just earlier, he rebelled against the king of Assyria. But how did he try to handle the issue? Because he tried to fix it. He tried to pay him off. He tried to pay him off. And he tried to buy his way, actually, out of the problem. That um, And I was thinking about that, that when we're in trouble and when we're afraid, we immediately try to fix it. Yeah. We, we're racking our brains for what we can do to fix this problem. And that's what Hezekiah did. And it's amazing to me, actually, because Hezekiah is a godly king and he has brought about um, 
this revival. And when you get to Second Chronicles, which we'll go to in a minute, you see that that he at the time he's bringing about this revival, that's the time that, that the king of Assyria comes against him. So the two things are going on at the, almost simultaneously, which is very strange. You know, he's bringing about this revival. He's in, in actively pursuing the Lord and getting other people to pursue him too, to take them back to the right form of worship, to restore the temple, all of that. And then he sees the king of Assyria coming against him. So it is a direct time in, in um, uh, you know, that it's the same sort of timing going on. It's not, a, not years later that the king of Assyria comes to him. When I read that, the thing I found really strange was rebuilt the temple, had it all dedicated, but then he stripped the gold from it. Mm. Was it wrong of him to do that? Of course. But why would he do it? Yes, exactly. Because he was afraid. He was afraid, and that's what we do. When we're afraid, we don't act rationally. He knows who God is, but because we're afraid... So I'm just saying, let's talk about that. What do we do when we're afraid? We don't act rationally, or at least we don't act according to our faith. We start to cast around for ways we can fix the problem. And we start to be anxious about things. And we start to be woken up in the middle of the night. And we start to churn over things and scenarios in our minds. I, if you knew the number of time I churn over emails I'm going to send or, or that are difficult, you know, someone's caused a problem or, or I've got to fix something, even like to do with the house or something like that. Nothing spiritual necessarily, but in the t number of times it wakes me up in the night and I'm going over and over and over and over and over it because and I'm trying to find the words and I'm re redoing conversations I've had and word for word and what I should have said and what I didn't say and all of this. And constantly, instead of doing what I know to do, which is just say, Lord, this is beyond me, but nothing is impossible for you. And that's what Hezekiah did. And we see it in physical ways. He literally stripped the temple. So that, to me, is a real clear indication that when I go over and over these conversations in my head, when I look around for ways to fix things, I am stripping the temple of its precious uh, stones. He didn't act according to his faith. He didn't act rationally. I said rationally at first, but then I realized rationally is not always according to faith. So um, he didn't act according to his faith. According to what he knew, he used the eyes of his flesh instead of the eyes of his faith. And, um, and he stripped the temple. And that, to me, is a really big thing. Because yet we say, well, that's human. It's human to try to fix things. It's human to be anxious about things. It's human to, you know, to churn over things. And it does take us a while. But I think we, it's good for us to understand that when we do that, we are stripping the temple of God, which is who we are, of the preciousness of it and of the, the finery of it. Go ahead. It's glory. Yeah, thank you. It's glory. There was because there wasn't a disabled, but we were praying. I saw, it, it really put me in a sort of place. And I, oh, what shall I do? Oh, I'll yeah. take her in. I'll get mm. the wheelchair in, mm. and then I'll come back and all this. And that, and then the Lord used me twice in in the yeah. hospital, which was wonderful. Yeah. But for about two weeks, I was sort of thinking that was just rubbish. <laughs> trust God at all. Yeah. You just yeah. went into a. Yeah, a panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, we, do, we all do it. This is not, you know, so we all do it and we all try to fix things and we all try to, you know, figure out how it's going to be or we go into a panic or whatever it is, whichever form it takes. But the thing that struck me with this is that we are stripping the temple of its glory and giving it to the enemy. And uh, I just thought to myself, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. So... Um, Hezekiah thought he could buy his way out of the difficulty and he, as I say, he was, he was willing and he did give the gold and the silver and it didn't work, of course. It didn't work. None of those human fixes work to sort out the problem of the enemy of our soul. He is going to come at us all the time until we work out the correct way to deal with him. And um, in Second Chronicles 32, um, Hezekiah moves into stage two, so he's tried to buy off the enemy. And then if we go back to Second Chronicles 32, and you read from verse 2 to verse 5. Um, uh, now when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he decided with his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of the water from the springs which were outside the city. And they helped him. So many people assembled and stopped up all the springs and the stream which flowed through the region, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he took courage and rebuilt all the wall that had been broken down and erected towers on it and built another outside wall and strengthened the millow in the city of David and made weapons and shields in great number. So Hezekiah now turns to his second uh, thinking. His second way is to strengthen the defences. That's in Second Chronicles 32, uh, verse 2 to verse 5. Um, so, and, and it's not bad. He, he repaired the walls and he, uh, and he fixed the broken sections and uh, he got the people in on it. Um, and, and really, um, it's a good indication, I think, of, of how he began to see how he should have been handling this problem. Instead of trying to buy off the enemy, he realised he needed to strengthen the defence. The walls of Jerusalem are a picture of what? What are they a picture of for us as believers? Yeah, protection. Yeah, our salvation actually and the fortification of our salvation. So they are a picture of, because they, they were around the city, weren't they, and around the temple. So in a way, it's the picture of the protection that we have around us. But we need to, they needed to strengthen those walls. So how, how would we strengthen ours then? Pray, yeah. Yeah. Read the word, yeah. Okay, well, what, give me an example of a scripture that is about this sort of thing, that would be useful in this thing. A scripture. There you go. Proverbs um, 18, verse 10, I think it is. Yeah, uh, 18, verse 10. The word of the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. So, the reason to memorize scripture is not just to know the words. It's to actually know the scripture when you need that. So when you're um, when your defences are being attacked, when your walls of, of your salvation are being attacked, and they're under constant attack often, we have to know that the name of Jesus is a strong tower, that the righteous run into it and are safe. So, I mean, just break up that, that one verse very quickly. The name of the Lord is what? 
Yeah. What is the name of the Lord? What's his name? Yeah. But who is he? he who is he? Jill, say that again. And all the things that go. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord of armies. He is Jehovah, the self-existent God. He is El Elyon, the most high sovereign God. He is uh, Jehovah Sidkanu, the Lord my righteousness. He is all of those things, on and on and on and on. If you know those names, you can tell yourself, this is who my God is. That's why I run to him because he is everything that I need. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He is Jehovah Ra, the, the uh, Lord is my shepherd. He is all of those things for me. That's why his name is a strong tower. It's not, you know, yes, to memorize the scripture, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. So when the enemy comes at you, when you start to quote that verse and you start to talk about who your God is, and he says, yes, but you're not righteous. Only the righteous can run into that strong tower. What's your answer? He is my righteousness. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. He is my righteousness. And so I can go in there. And when you read that psalm, you know, who may ascend to your holy hill? You know, the pure and only the pure and the blameless. And you think, that's not me, that's not me. The answer is, yes, it is, because you are in him and he is pure and he is blameless. So these are the things that we have to know. And this is what Hezekiah started to do. He started to build up the temple walls, the, the things that would, would barricade or keep the enemy out from the inner places. That's what we need to do. That's what you and I need to do. We need to be intentional about it. We have to build up the defences. We need to know those scriptures that tell us that God is protecting us. First Peter, you know, I love that chapter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, that we are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You and I are protected by the power of God. So his name is a strong tower. The name of the Lord Jesus is a strong tower for me because Jesus is all of those things. And so I run into it and I'm safe. And, and rebuilding the walls... You know, I need to know the armor of God that is on me. I need to know what that means, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. I need to know what those things are, the sword of the spirit. I need to be able to stand firm. I just heard yesterday a soldier talking about the war mm. in France and how they had to, it was really bad for them and the attack was really bad and they had to retreat and they would retreat eight steps, literally eight feet. And then uh, they would bend in, fire a few shots, and then they would have to retreat. And, and so this went on for a day, I think it was a day. And what the enemy wanted to do was to break the lines of defence. Uh -huh. So you had all of the all of the armies of Great Britain and France, based like that. And although they retreated 40-odd miles back and lost 40, grand, 40 miles of territory that they had won, because the line never broke, yeah. the defences didn't break, yeah. We won the war. Yeah. Because this was in 1918. 1918, yeah. yeah. Mm. And we won the war because those lines held. Mm. And I think that emphasizes also how we have to hold on. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Strong. And, yes. And not to give way when you have to back off. Yes. Have to back off because 
Exactly. Exactly. Yes. But, I mean, that's throughout Scripture. It's always people together, yeah. believers together, men and women of God together um, doing all of these things. Ephesians 6, verse 16, the Lord is our shield. He is the shield of faith. That's who Jesus is. He is our shield of faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We have faith in who he is. He is the shield of faith. Um, and it's the same as these walls that um, Hezekiah was strengthening and cutting off the water supply and all of those things. He was, he was uh, building up the defences of the city, of the people. And that's what we need to do with each other. You know, when things are going bad and when we're facing difficult times, we need to be alongside each other, building up, building up, building up, reminding each other who God is, who we are in Christ, so that our walls are repaired and strengthened. Mm -hmm. and, um, not, and not give up when it looks bad. Exactly. It, well, he did. He, yeah. I think he was just, he was afraid. Yeah, I think he'd, I think what happened to him was, it says in, um, in Second Chronicles that the Lord prospered him because, you know, he, he, he brought all the people back. And I think he probably got a bit carried away with himself, you know. He'd had a time of blessing, perhaps. And so, so he rebelled against the king of Assyria and he had made an agreement with the king of Assyria. So he rebelled against him and that brought the um, Assyrian king against him. So I think he just as we often do, and as I have to, you know, I, I always talk about this with, you know, if you've got an unsafe partner, my husband is so good, he is so supportive, that I can take him for granted like that. Yeah. It is so easy for me to take him for granted, so easy for me to um, just, just, you know, carry on with my plans without giving him, you know, two thoughts, because he does not complain and he is very supportive. So I have to really be sure that I uh, build up the defences and that I remember that he has to come first. Do you know what I mean? That he is, it, that he has, after the Lord, obviously, after the Lord, but do you know what I mean? I have to remember to honour him because otherwise it's so easy not to. And, and really, in some ways, that's a little bit like Hezekiah, you know. He just got carried away with the blessing of it all, as I can so often do, and then forget that he had responsibilities. He had things that he had to take care of. And um, so, anyway, it, was, it, it seemed to be right for me. It may not be a good example for you, but anyway, find your own example. We need to um, build our defences. Isaiah chapter 60, um, verse 18. When you have... Um, when you have rebuilt, well, you have built up your defences and your walls, Isaiah 60, verse 18, violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So these are uh, good, Isaiah 60, verse 18, um, Proverbs 25, verse 28, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. This uh, idea that this is something we have to do, we have to be intentional, we have to be purposeful about it. We have an enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion, we just read that, looking for someone to devour. And he will devour the one whose walls are broken down. 
and who's trying to go it alone and stand on their own. Psalm 144, verses 1 and 2. Um, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and him, he in whom I take refuge, yeah, um, who subdues my people under me, so or other peoples under me. Psalm 144, verses 1 and 2. Um, 144. Proverbs was 25, 28. And then if we go back to the first Proverbs one, the, the one that um, Jenny remembered, uh, Proverbs 18, just look at, we, I quoted verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and are safe. Now look at verse 11, which is directly after, it's a direct contrast. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. So this is a direct contrast. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are, and are safe. And a rich man's wealth is his strong city. Yeah. In his imagination. In his imagination. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So those who know their God put their trust in him. The more you know about God, the easier it is to trust him and the quicker that you do it. Um, the rich put their hope in their money because that's what they, all they know about and they imagine it to be uh, some unscalable wall that... Um, um, so, uh, just one last scripture, um, Psalm 48. Well, not one last one, but in this vein, Psalm 48, um, verse 12 to 13. Um, 48, 12 to 13. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her palaces, that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. This is what we're doing. We're building up for ourselves an impregnable tower, really. Or not, we're not building it up for ourselves, but we're understanding that we have this tower and that we are to do our part to remember all the things about it. Uh, we're not surrounded, obviously, by a physical wall or a city, but we have spiritual protection in Christ. Um, yeah. And we have to notice the areas that, of the wall that need repair. You know, we need to be constantly assessing our life and what we're doing and how we're doing it and what things we've just disregarded and left alone and thought, you know, the Lord's been talking to us about them, but we've just decided, you know what, it's not so important yet. And so I'll do that when I get round to it. We need to be constantly assessing ourselves and our faith. Uh, Paul will write, or the writer to the Hebrews, actually, sorry, not Paul. Or is it all Paul in the second Corinthians? Chapter 13, verse 5, um, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Examine your life. Examine how you spend your time. Examine all of it. Um, you know, and for believers, don't do it as, a, as an act of fear, but do it because you, you just know that you've got an enemy and he's going to come against you. And, you know, you, you can defend yourself. Um, uh, yeah. Moses says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy verse 6, he, he, he talk, tells them to talk about the word, you know, when they rise up, teach it to their sons. Uh, talk about it. Let me just get, sorry, Deuteronomy 6. Um, 
and it's really good because um, he, he finishes, well, he doesn't finish the whole thing, but he finishes this little section. Um, these words which I'm commanding with you, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to um, verse 12. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of God. Write this down everywhere you can. Write it down. Remember it. And then he says in the... Um, as you go on through it, um, then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You are in the land that he swore. You are in the promised land of blessing. You have received the blessing of Jesus Christ. You are in the land. And what he says here is... Uh, when he brings you into the land to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of all good things which you did not fill and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's what happens to us when we... Uh, get lulled into this false sense of security that uh, we've we're we're we've made it. We're we you know we are um, we 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 don't have to worry. We don't have to bother about our faith or the building up of our our spiritual life. We don't have to bother about it. And we just think that somehow we believe the lie that says God's going to do it all. Well, He doesn't. God wants us involved in it. So. Um, much better to rebuild the walls, keep them built up and uh, in good condition before trouble strikes. So, back to Second Chronicles 32. Um, yeah, just back there, 32, verse 6 to 8. Somebody read those verses, please. Second Chronicles 32, verse 6 to 8. He appointed military officers over the people and gathered them to him in the square at the city gate and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the sin of the, the, the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us it is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So can you see what he's doing? He's rebuilt, he's starting to rebuild the defences. He's starting to remind himself figuratively of who God is and then he can pass that on to the people. And this is really interesting to me that the people gained confidence from what he said. So I was asking myself the question, do people gain confidence from what I say? Do people gain confidence from what you say to them? When you talk to them, do you talk to them about the truth about who God is? You know, I'm not talking about just necessarily quoting scripture to them. I'm talking about the fact that I don't need to be afraid. I am not afraid in this situation because I know God and he has promised he has made me promises. And though I may not see what I want to see happen, while maybe inside me I want this to happen and that to happen and God might do something totally different, yet I am sure that what he does will be ultimately the best for me. 
and, and when, I, when I'm talking to someone, when someone talks to me and they're telling me about something that's going on in their life, am I, am I quick to say, oh gosh, that's so terrible. Oh my goodness, what are you going to do? That's awful. Oh no, oh no. We better pray together or we better do this. Or am I, am I saying to them, well, how wonderful, how wonderful. I'm not talking about callously, but I'm saying how wonderful. You've told me and we can pray together and God will answer our prayers. You know, that's what share and prayer is about. It's not really about us saying, oh my goodness, that's terrible. Wow, I didn't know you had it so bad. If I'd have known that, I'd have really sat next to you and put an arm around you every week. It's for us to say to each other, okay, we have an awesome, mighty God and he's in control. And not to belittle each other's problems, but to say we can take these problems to the throne of grace because he's told us to come boldly there and find help in our time of need. So that's what we need to be doing with each other, building each other up. And that's what you see Hezekiah doing. And, um, and what he told them was the truth as old as time itself. It's the truth that we tell them. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. That's who our God is. He's the one who fights our battles. He's the one who does that. It doesn't look like that. In the physical, it doesn't look like that. It looks like we're fighting them. It looks, sometimes it feels like you're, you know, you're, you're standing alone on the battlefield. But you're never alone because God is there. And we need to train our minds to th remember these things because in remembering is strength. Um, and you, you read what Hezekiah told those people, everybody down through scripture told, told people, if you read Numbers 14, Joshua and Caleb entering the promised land, when they came back and said, we can't go in, there's giants in the land, Joshua and Caleb said, wow, God is the God of the impossible, he is mighty, he has given us this land. David will say, when faced with Goliath, who do you think you are to, to, to come against the name of the Lord our God? I'm not standing for that. So it's this, this constant reinforcement through scripture where people knew who God is and they did not allow the enemy to strip. Because David came to, uh, to the army when they were all defeated. They were all afraid of Goliath. They'd been there for days listening to him say, you know, somebody come out and fight. or you know. And David, this shepherd boy, comes and says, how dare you speak against the, the name of the living God? I will not let you do it. And his standing in front of Goliath energized and um, encouraged the whole army. Um, Nehemiah said the same thing. We've just read it. Building the, um, the walls. You know, our God is, our God is able to do it. 1 John 4, verse 4. 1 um, John 4, verse 4. Um, let me just, sorry, let me just get there. First John 4, verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is, you know... This is who our God is, and he is in us. And we have to practice remembering it because it's so easy 
for us to forget. And when you can't remember, I have to remember for you. And when I can't remember, you have to remember for me. Because sometimes life's problems are overwhelming. So we have to help each other to remember the truth about God. Um, um, okay, we'll take a break, I think. Ten past eleven. Yeah, we'll take just only ten, fifteen minutes and then... We'll come back and finish. So, Father, thank you that uh, we've had fellowship. Thank you that we've um, been able to chat with one another. Lord, I pray that our conversations were uplifting and edifying and, and that you were honoured by them. And now, Lord, I pray that you would be honoured by our looking at your word and trying to learn more about you. And, and Father, that you would help us to do that because, um, because we know, Lord, that the more we know about you, the better, the better for us and the more easily we are able to glorify you. So um, I pray that, uh, Lord, I pray that for each one of us, that we would be able to lay aside our particular burdens now and just to concentrate on what you are showing us through the life of Hezekiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so back to Second Chronicles then, 32. And um, verse 8, with him, only is an ar- with him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem while he was besieging Lachish with all his forces with him against Hezekiah, king of Judah, and against all Judah who were at Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you are remaining in Jerusalem under siege? Is not Hezekiah misleading you to give yourselves over to die by hunger and thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall, not, you shall worship before one altar, and on it you shall burn incense? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the lands? Were the gods of the nations of the lands able at all to deliver their land from from my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations which my fathers utterly destroyed who could deliver his people out of my hand um, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Um, Can you hear it? Can you hear in there the... um, the words of the enemy, the words of Satan, actually, look at all the doubt that he tries to give to Hezekiah's people, all the doubt that he tries to plant in their minds. Um, they were worshipping in the wrong place, and, and nobody else has been able to stand against me, and um, uh, open mockery of Hezekiah and, and what he's done. Um, and that's what Satan does all the time, open mockery of, of what... Exactly, it's the same. It's, it's exactly the same, yeah. Um, I think Sennacherib might have sent the message, but Satan was whispering in his ear, and that's what we see throughout Scripture. Um, uh, yeah, and, and all the time, it's, it's this doubt being put into their minds and into our minds. That's what Satan wants to do, to put doubt in our minds in all different ways, shapes and forms. So he's probably tried many ways, if you've been a Christian for a while, he's probably tried several ways to put doubt into your mind. And he won't use the same methods. 
He'll come at you from a different angle because if one thing fails, he'll be trying to circle around and get you from another direction. So that's why the walls are really important because the walls will be all around you and that's what we need to um, be aware of, that Satan will not stop. He, the last thing he wants is for you to live for God and for you to be strong and sure in your faith. Um, he'll do anything to get your mind off how, how strong God is, how mighty he is. And so that will mean, unfortunately, that he will start to um, uh, kind of uh, bring what you're thinking is weakness into your body, into your mind, into your circumstances. He will start things to make things really, really difficult for you so that your natural responses I, look how weak I am. Other people cope with this, but I'd, I'm not coping with this. So it's this constant uh, throwing things at you, not necessarily, as I say, in, in the obvious ways, but in different ways, you know. Um, I was sharing with Sue, uh, one of the ways that I, I, didn't, I don't think I said this to Sue, but I think one of the ways the enemy works in me is to kind of tell me that God has given me wisdom. Hasn't he given you wisdom, Anne? And, and you know, I, I'm sure you can really help other people's problems. You can fix them for them. You know, you can find a way. It's like I was saying about helicopter parenting. Do you know what that is? Helicopter parenting? It's when you just, the parent zooms in with all the help the, the, the child needs. So they've forgotten their homework. So you zoom their homework to school and then you, they didn't take their coat and it starts to rain. They said, no, I'm not taking my coat. I don't need a coat. But you just zoom their coat to them because you don't want them to suffer. It's like me. I used to say, you know, I wanted to have a broom and I tried to do this for a long time to walk in front of my children and sweep all the troubles away so that they didn't have to face any trouble. That's helicopter parenting. It's zooming in at the last minute to save them from any problems. And um, that human tendency is still there, even though, I'm the, even though I know the Lord and even though I know I can't fix things, that is the way Satan will come at me. And it takes a great strength of will to understand that I, that's, that's the enemy, that I can't allow that, that I'm not God, that I cannot fix every problem, that I can't actually fix any problems. <laughs> And that I'm to turn everything over to him. Where my natural tendency is to um, forget God and start to try to fix it myself. You know, um, that's the enemy. It's the enemy. Just as much as the enemy who says you can't do anything at all, it's the enemy who tries to tell you you can do everything. So, um, yeah, so these things that God's talking to you about, I don't know what he's talking to you about, but he will be talking to you about something. And... Um, <coughs> And Satan's modus operandi is to get us to operate by sight and not by faith. That's what he wants, always. Whatever it is, you know, and so he'll butter you up or he'll do you down, but whatever it is, he wants you not to operate on the basis of your faith. Um, so that's a battle we have to fight. Things are yeah, but see, that's another attack from the enemy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, uh, that's actually very interesting. I, I will share this because um, I hope it comes out in the right way. But you know, for a long time, you know, you read about persecuted Christians around the place. You read all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And for years and years, I haven't been persecuted. I have to say, not in any real way, shape, or form. I live, you know, you know, quite an easy life and. I'm not persecuted. 
And so that has caused me a lot of concern, really, over the years, off and on, because I'm not persecuted. So does that mean I'm not, not living godly? Um, and does that mean that... Um, or does it also mean, and probably does, that I'm too weak to take any sort of real serious trouble so the Lord knows that and keeps it all off me? And, and so I'm like this weakest Christian, you know, which is what, you know, and that, and that poor God, how he must be disappointed in me because I'm not stronger and I can't do this and I can't do that and blah, 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 blah. So, that, you know, these things go around in my head a lot. So, um, but it's only recently that Lord has really started speaking to me about these things and showing me the truth of it. And just the other day, actually, he... Um, we, I, was, I think I was probably going through something like that and, and God said, but how could you do what you do if you were so persecuted and so caught up in difficulties, you wouldn't be able to do what you do and I want you to do what you do. And that was really liberating for me because it really showed me that actually he's shielding me from certain things so that I can do what he wants me to do. And that's not necessarily my weakness, although I am weak. And it's not necessarily that I'm not living a godly life, although I don't always live a godly life. But do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. because of his purpose and his plan. And that's why my life is like it is. And so again, it's, this, it's another example to me of how Satan wants, no matter how he dresses it up, it's all about me. You know, it's all about me. It's all of it thinking about me. You know, and, and, and Satan is so good at that, at dressing things up so that you, it looks like humility and it looks like a real kind of, oh, Lord, I, don't, I want to do this and I want to be like this. But actually, it's all about me. And so um, it's been quite a relief, actually, to come through that and, to, and to, to really understand that because I can see how much of that thinking is all self-oriented. And I don't really want any of that anymore. So uh, I'm saying that to let you know that Satan doesn't come in obvious ways. He comes in very devious ways. And um, so to be aware of it and to concentrate your mind on who God is and, and, and all his promises to us. So um, nothing really changes. Satan doesn't change. The circumstances, the situations, the, the way he dresses things up changes. But nothing changes about him. And um, anything that takes you away from the truth that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. That he is the almighty, powerful God of the impossible. Mm -hmm. That he has given you new life. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And that he has a plan and a purpose for your life that is beyond your wildest dreams. That he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you can ask or think. If you just let him. Second Chronicles 32, verse 15. Um, now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you like this, and do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? His servants spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to insult the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of the lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. They called this out with a loud voice in the language of Judah to, to, to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them so that they might take the city. They spoke of the God of Jerusalem as of the gods of the peoples of the earth, the work of men's hands." 
So again, you know, let's just think about that. What is it that Satan, well, what is it that these enemies are trying to do to the people of Judah, to um, Hezekiah and the people of Judah? And how can we liken that to what Satan is doing to us um, individually and as a body of believers? So just take from those verses, what is it that the enemy is doing there? Yeah, yeah, he's undermining our trust in God, but how is he doing that? Yeah, deceiving them, misleading them, making us doubt, doing God down. But can you notice how they're speaking in a loud voice? That's really in a language they understand. So Satan comes with a very loud voice and he speaks in a language you can understand. Whatever your language is, that's how he speaks. And he shouts at you. And that is the tactic of the enemy, to just, it's this, like this cacophony of noise, of sound that comes at you. Um, and I don't mean literal sound, but these thoughts that just bombard you, or circumstances that bombard you. And you feel, there's a scripture, I can't remember where it is, that the enemy came in like a flood. And that is how Satan works. He comes in like a flood, and he... He is constantly um, just making loads of noise. You know when children, uh, they argue with each other, what do they do? Their voices get louder and louder and louder and they shout at each other. There is this inbuilt human thing that if we, the, if we speak loudest, we're going to win. You know, so when you're arguing, I know this because I argue a lot, when you're arguing, you just raise your voice and then you'll make your point, you know. Mm. 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 And whenever I feel like that, I think to myself, I'm not yeah. holiness. He can't get to yeah. me. He's just shouting from the side. Exactly. But he's not able to get, get. yeah. And that, I found that so. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. 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 That I can just think about that. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, Isaiah 35, we're on the highway of holiness and um, the enemy is walking along the side of the road but he cannot get on our road. He cannot. Isaiah 35 says no vicious beast can go up on there, no lion, no vicious beast can get onto that road. And we're on that road because we are walking with the Lord Jesus. He is that road, he is the highway of holiness, he's the way to God. I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to God except through me. Thank you, Jenny. And that understanding that he can shout and scream, and he does, but he cannot touch you. But you see what he's trying to do here? That's what he's trying to do. He's shouting. He wants to terrify them with his shouting so that he can capture the city. And uh, great fear has got a way of doing that. You know, when you're afraid of whatever it is you're afraid of, that's loud in your ear, the fear. And... Um, yeah, and fear and anxiety are the opposite of faith and trust. They are the opposite. So any fear or anxiety that you have, you have to turn over to the Lord. You have to be unafraid to come to him and say, I'm afraid of this God and I know that you are greater than this, so I'm going to give you this anxiety, give you this fear, and I'm going to trust that you will enable me to leave it behind. Um, God is bigger than your fear. I mean, Isaiah 
40, 41, 42, 43, those chapters, it's just God over and over and over again saying to the people, I am bigger than your circumstances. I am bigger. I am greater than your past. I am greater than your present. I am bigger than the enemy. I will always bring you through to victory. Second Corinthians talks about our God leading us in triumph. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so... Um, Hezekiah specifically told them, uh, we didn't read it, but in, in 2 Kings 18, um, Hezekiah had told them not to speak when they heard the enemy shouting at them, not to answer him, because, um, in, in fact, it says, but the people, and the people remained silent and said nothing in reply, because the king had commanded them, do not answer him. And so, um, uh, that's what they did here, and um, back to Second Chronicles 32, verse 20. Um, but King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed about this and cried out to heaven, and the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, commander and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land. And when he had entered the temple of his God, some of his own children killed him there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many were bringing gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and choice presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah prayed to God about this problem and um, and that's so interesting to me that, um, and the uh, Second Kings 19 records the, the prayer that they um, sent up. So interesting that um, what he says when he prays, not that he prays because we all pray, but what, how Hezekiah prayed is really interesting. So if somebody could read Second Kings 19, verse 14 through to verse 19, please. 2 Kings 19, 14 to 19. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Thank you. I mean, it's quite an amazing prayer, actually, because um, uh, uh, the way that Hezekiah comes to him. So let's just break it down a little bit. What's the first thing he does? 
Yeah, took the letter from the hands of the messengers and read it, and then went, what? Yeah. Yes, he... Um, exactly. He prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim. So, but taking the letter and spreading it before the Lord, what is that actually? What's that act? Yeah, it's, and it's just, it's, the, it's a simple act of faith, isn't it? It's like saying, okay, Lord, this is what the enemy is saying about you. And, and really, that's what we do when we pray, when we come to God with all the things that are, the enemy is bringing. And, and sometimes they, we don't know it's the enemy. We just think it's the circumstance of our life. So we come and we lay that letter. It's like a letter that you lay out before the Lord and you say, Lord, this is what's going on. And I know that you know this. And I'm just putting this before you because what you're going to be start to, hopefully what we start to see is that every circumstance, every situation, every difficulty, everything in your life is, uh, the, you know, in, in terms of coming into your humanness and into your life, is seeking to distract you from the simple truth that God is God and you are his. You are his. So everything, every circumstance, every difficult relationship, every problem, every loss of job, every, every, everything. Every Christian was just telling me they're moving to, um, or maybe moving to Shropshire, and um, there's, they're buying this house and selling a house, and that's not going maybe as smoothly as it might go because uh, the other people might want a little bit more money than they've actually agreed to. So you've got all of this going on. That doesn't look like the enemy. That doesn't look like Satan. That looks like somebody being a bit greedy and wanting more money for their house. But that's the work of the enemy because what that does is it concentrates Christian and Susanna's mind on everything but God. It takes their thinking away from God, away from the ministry that they, God has raised you up to do. It takes your thinking, not just you, Christian, everybody. That's what happens. Our thinking is taken away from, yes, what it is, that who is God, what, 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 what has he gifted me for, what does he want me to be doing with my time, and we end up in this cycle of thinking about this particular problem. And that's, what, that's always what Satan does. So when we take that problem and we lay it before the Lord, what we're saying is, okay, I'm not keeping this to myself anymore. <laughs> I can't do anything about this. this is, and I recognize that this is from the enemy. So your house. I recognize that these people, they don't know it, but Satan is using them to distract us from what we know that you want us to do with our lives. So look at your own life. What's in your own life? What's in your own life? What is the situation at the moment that is absolutely taking all your headspace? That is the work of the enemy. Not the thing itself necessarily, but the way that he is taking your mind off with it. So what we need to do is say, okay, Lord, I'm bringing this to you. Here it is. Here it is. Here is this thing. You know, for Keith and Christine, here is Georgia. Here she is. Here's the hospital and the doctor's not doing what they should and the nurse is being ridiculous and not doing what they should and Georgia being drawn down into this. Here is the work of the enemy and I can't fix it, Lord, but I know you can. I know you can. And so it's just this simple coming to him and saying, here it is. Now, I'm not saying that just, I mean, in this case, what happens is Hezekiah 
has an amazing victory because Sennacherib is, is killed and the king of Assyria gets killed and everybody dies, you know, except him. And so it is an amazing victory. So that's a physical thing. And I'm not saying that the physical situation you're facing is immediately sorted out. But what is sorted out is your mind's constant churning and turmoil and absolute just focus constantly, that is sorted out because you can keep coming back with this open letter to the Lord and keep saying to him, Lord, here it is. I can't do it. I don't want to be thinking about any... I want to be living for you. I want to be moving on in you. I want to be um, able to encourage, like for Keith and Christine, I want to be able to encourage Georgia. I want to be able to tell her about a God who is mighty and who has enabled me to do this. I want to be able to live for your glory and I can't because my head is full of the loud voice of the enemy. So here, here is my letter. And, and that's what we have to do. You have to bring your letter and open it up in front of the Lord. And sometimes that takes us a long time because we forget. Yes, it is. It is. And also remembering that behind your circumstance is an enemy who is seeking to defame the name of God. That's the thing. He's not just getting at you. He's getting at God through you. And he's getting at your witness to other people through your circumstance. So it's not, it's not simply you and your circumstance. It's also the, the reputation and the name of God. Who is God? He is a God who has promised, I will hold you in my hands like my most precious child. What concerns you, I will accomplish. I will accomplish, he says, what concerns you. Psalm 138, on the day that I called, you answered me, the psalmist said. You made me bold with strength in my soul. That's what happened with Hezekiah. On the day that he called, God answered him and made him bold with strength in his soul. And the Lord's promise, I will accomplish what concerns you. Um, I think he probably was. I think he probably was. And it might be that it's talked about in Isaiah's... I can't remember, actually. I think it does talk about in Isaiah... Um, in fact, I think we might see that in next week's uh, study. That's why it's in my mind. I think that um, he was with Hezekiah, and they, were, they both prayed. Um, and I think then... Does it say that Isaiah spoke back to him? Yeah. They were together, yeah. 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 It is. That's exactly what I'm saying, Keith. That's what I'm saying. That's what, that's what we've got to do with each other. Because we can't do it on our own because we don't have the courage, we don't have the strength, and we don't really believe it. You know, we want to believe it. And, and when we say we believe it, but doing it, now there's another thing. And that's why we need each other. So, I mean, who, who's going to sit with Keith and Christine and pray like this with them? Who's going to do that? Who's going to open up the letter with them and say, Lord, here we are. And we know you know this and we don't want the enemy to be having any more ground. We're not allowing him to defame your name. We're not allowing him to spoil your reputation and trample the name of Jesus. We're not allowing it. We are coming together as the people of Christ Jesus. You know, I mean, I don't know if you've got to go straight off, but, but really, we should be praying for Keith and Christine today, right now. Today, they're going to go home, they're going to see Georgia, they're going to have to be talking to her, and then maybe talking to the consultant. They need the strength that only the Lord can provide.
Um, and Hezekiah doesn't ask for deliverance. Notice that in his prayer. He doesn't ask for deliverance. Look, he says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, the kings of Assyria have devastated, devastated the nations and their lands. But now, O Lord, I pray, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. He, he's asking for deliverance, but not for himself, only so that they know that God is God. That's 2 second, uh, second Kings 19. Um, yeah. 15 to 19. This is a 14 to 19, thank you. In a way, it's the same sort of thing because I know there are members of the family who are not Christian. Mm. And they will be saying, Yes. See, oh, yeah. you were praying for us. Mm. Look what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a strong weapon. Yeah, it is a strong weapon. It is a strong weapon. And you feel in a way it's the honour of God. Yeah. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And there's no easy answer for that because Keith and Christine are going to pray for Georgia to be completely healed. We're going to pray for her to be completely healed. That We do that. In that we have to do that. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 Exactly. But that's what I mean. So we. So together we can we can pray, and the Lord gives us the answer to that. You know, the Lord gives us the answer to that. We live in a planet where these things happen. These things happen. Everything is. First Corinthians ten thirteen says, "No temptation or test or trial has seized you except which is common to man." So everything, cancer, brain tumours, strokes, heart attacks, uh, Ed's uh, living with pain his whole, whole life because of his accident. Sorry, Ed, but you're right there in front of me. That, uh, people having uh, depression, uh, people uh, committing suicide, all those things, these are common to mankind. Everything, this is what happens on a planet that has rebelled against God. That's the bottom line. It happens because people have decided they don't want God. And this is what happens. This is not God saying, right, this is George's and this is Chris's and this is Sue's. This is just what happens on this planet. But we have a God who enables us to live above what happens on this planet. And that's what that verse says. It says that when you are tempted or tested or tried, but when you are, even though it's common to man, but when you are tried, God will always provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. So that you, unlike 99% of the world's population, so that you can carry on and know peace and joy even in that situation. That's the thing. Yes, Jenny's saying about Eleanor. Eleanor was a Christian. She knew the Lord. So she had cerebral palsy. She was, um, that happened because of an accident at the hospital when she was born. That is common to man. That means it just happens. That's what, it just happens. And if you don't know the Lord, you're left with that accident at birth that is just 
devastating and there is nowhere to go with your anger and your pain and your sorrow and all of that just like with Keith and Christine if if you don't know the Lord you have nowhere to go with your pain and your sorrow exactly exactly so what do you reply Keith um, yesterday I can't to be honest sir I couldn't really recall because no. you know, it was a very distressing day yesterday yeah. um, I was upset, I fumbled for words but I did answer you know, yeah. you know you defended it can't mm. Mm. I know I'm like the doctor used to ask me how I coped with John right? mm. because he had severe dementia uh. and, um, and I was looking after him and I used to say it's my faith that keeps me and this is, this is how we uphold the name of God, and that is actually how God delivers you. He delivers you through these things. You are able to endure them because of the deliverance of God. Look at Ed and Julie. Sorry, you're just right there in front of me. There's no, nobody in between. How are they still worshipping the Lord? How is that happening? There's no human answer for it. It's only God who can do that. It's only God. How did Laura live, what, two, three, four years with a brain tumour without completely going off the rails? How did she do that? Because God held her firm. That's what happens. Yes, amazing. What a witness they are. You know, how can Christine come and I say, how are you? Well, it was a bad day yesterday, but, you know, we're carrying on. How can she say that without the work of God? That's what this witness is. And can you see how the enemy is always trying to, to, to make us deny the, the power and the work of God? And, and so we need to be praying with Christine and Keith. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be wartime prayers. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah. Yes, good. Yeah, yes, yeah, she does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you, Maureen, yeah. So today, before you go, if, they've, if you've got time, we should have, I don't know, three or four or five or six people sit with Keith and Christine and pray. And I mean pray, prayers of victory, please. Prayers of real strong deliverance and encouragement that we have a mighty God. He's a mighty God and he does accomplish what concerns us. Um, this is Hezekiah's prayer is the prayer of a man who knew God. He knew God. He knew just how to come to him and he knew what God would do. And he says, if there is to be any deliverance, let it be that God be glorified, so that God be glorified. And God sent the answer. We'll finish with the answer. Verse 21. Um, then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard you. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? Through your messengers you have reproached the Lord and you have said, with many chariots I come up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon, and I cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypresses and I entered its farthest lodging places, its thickest forests. I dug wells and drank foreign waters and with the sole of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. 
From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn these cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. But Verse 27. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me because of your raging against me and because your arrogance has come up to my ears. Therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Then this shall be the sign for you. You will eat this year what grows of itself, in the second year what springs from the same, and in the third year sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant, out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, by the same he will return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. It came about as he was worshipping in the house of Nimrod, his god, uh, Nisroch, sorry, his god, that Adramalek and Sharez killed him with the sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. And Eshadon, his son, became king in his place. God's answer to Hezekiah and to the kings of the nations is, I alone am God. If you pray for the glory of God to be shown in your life, he will show his glory through you. He will. If you pray for God to be God, to be the sustainer of your life, to be your strength, if you pray for him to make it possible for you, even in your direst circumstances, to, to live for his glory, he will do it. And you will know joy and peace. You will. And that's amazing. That is completely and utterly amazing because that is against all human ways and thinking. So, Father, we, uh, we want to lift up this lesson um, Lord, we want to lift up this time together to you and ask you to, to use it for your glory, to change us by what we've read, to help us to see the work of the enemy and to know that we must stand and hold out our uh, pleas to you, Lord God. Hold out our letters to you or his letters to you, Lord, to show them to you. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to so trust you that there is nothing that we don't come to you with, nothing that we don't ask you to deal with. For your sake, Lord, for your glory. And, and Lord, thank you, thank you that your glory always involves our joy. That, that as we are enabled to live for your glory, you fill us with a joy that is and a peace that is past all understanding, that it is the Lord Jesus' joy that we have. Father, help us to understand that and to, and to start to live by faith and not by sight. And I thank you, Lord, that you will do it and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.